Good evening and thanks for joining us. Witnesses say it sounded like a bomb went off when a trailer smashed into an overpass this morning. A semi-truck was towing an overheight car crusher and it caused considerable damage. Take a look at this live shot from Global One. The overpass and the highway northbound in that area shut down for hours. That is where we find our Aaron MacArthur tonight. Aaron, the incident sent chunks of concrete flying, lots of damage as we mentioned. What's the latest there? Sophie, right now, crews are spending some time shoring up the 152nd Street overpass, putting jack posts in so engineers can get in and have a much closer look at the damage. The question everyone around here is asking, how long is that going to take? An excavator just poking the underside of the 152nd Street overpass, cleaning up the debris from a collision that closed both 152nd and Highway 99. This truck carrying a mobile car crusher too tall to fit underneath. Damage to um, multiple girders on the structure, uh, and so that's what we're just in the process of assessing right now. The goal is to have one lane of the highway open northbound as soon as possible, but the bigger concern might be 152nd. Until engineers get a better sense of the damage, there is concern about putting weight back on the bridge. Engineers will spend time to support the structure properly before they can take a look. We do hope to at least be able to have the, uh, the highway open uh, within the next uh, day or so to at least a traffic lane. While there are lots of options for traffic to get around Highway 99, 152nd is a major thoroughfare out of South Surrey. And just a few hours in, traffic started to bunch up. Exasperated drivers wanted some answers. One bridge is not enough anyway, so everybody does this route. But now this has gotten crazy, so we're already trapped. So I'm just terrified about how long that's going to take. This is the second time it happens on a highway, you know, the big truck, they could crash on this street, and it's driving everybody crazy. Now that the debris is cleared and the support posts are going in, it's a waiting game. How much longer will it take to get the okay to open the roads? All right, Aaron, let's talk about the driver. Could that driver be facing any charges or fines, and who will pay for the damage? Yeah, Sophie, I was talking to the driver earlier. He was pretty banged up and pretty shaken up about what had gone on. Regulations in B.C. say drivers need to have a permit in place to carry an overheight trailer. Unclear at this point whether the driver had the correct permits. But other instances where drivers have run into overpasses with overheight vehicles have resulted in serious penalties. One driver had a seven-month driving prohibition for hitting an overpass out in Langley. The damage to the bridge, likely the responsibility of the company that owns the truck or at the very least, the insurance company. Back to you. All right, thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur live tonight. Several residents in the District of Kent have been forced from their homes while experts study the stability of the hillside above them. The danger first emerged when a giant 22-ton boulder came crashing through the trees onto one of the properties. Jeff Hastings has more on the continuing risk. There's a raw wound on the cliff above Harrison Lake. A gash below it, torn from the forest by at least 50,000 pounds of suddenly plummeting rock. It was about a month ago, 6.30 in the morning. The homeowners were asleep just a few meters from here. And this boulder came down from 300 meters up the mountain. The storage shed didn't stand a chance. All the luck, it seems, was with the people in the house. And what do you think when you look at that? It's huge and it's scary because I live like three houses from here. No injuries, no major property damage, but a month later, there's suddenly official worry. About half a dozen people have now been evacuated. The order coming from the District of Kent on Sunday. We're ongoing with uh, assessments. Uh, it's under the advice of a geotech assessment that the 
we put the evacuation order in place uh, because our primary interest is protecting life safety. The rock originated up here on Crown land and then the rock came down uh, the hillside and rolled to that point. Former Harrison Hot Springs Mayor John Allen owns much of the land up there. Normally if a big rock falls down like that, you breathe a sigh of relief and say, well, thank God that one fell down and now it's not going to fall again. And uh, we're safer than we were a month ago. Locals hope that is the case, that Bear Mountain isn't going to let loose again, that everyone can go home soon. Well, we would like to know if uh, our house is safe because we are like close to the mountain and how, f- how far is too dangerous. So it will be nice if we get some kind of information The danger is believed to increase with cooler weather. A freezing rock face, cracks already full of water, is an evolving threat. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Relief for dozens of renters in the Clayton Heights neighborhood of Siri. The city had planned on evicting those living in secondary suites, but tonight they think a reprieve. Catherine Urquhart is outside a council meeting where residents, Catherine, are expecting to learn they can stay at least temporarily. That's right, Chris. There had been a plan to evict people living in illegal secondary suites in the Clayton Heights neighborhood of Surrey. Letters were sent to 175 homeowners warning them that they needed to comply with local regulations. But later tonight, city staff will present a report and it will recommend suspending enforcement for one year and then coming up with a new plan. And council will later vote on that. And minutes ago, I spoke to Mayor Hepner. And she told me that she does expect that council will move forward with this and agree with this report. So there will be that one-year delay. This obviously good news for renters in the area, but not necessarily good news for others who argue that parking has become a big issue in the area, along with the lack of community resources. We'll have the latest on this tonight at 11. Chris, back to you. Many questions still to be answered. Thanks, Catherine. And lots of questions tonight about the protocol for crossing guards in Abbotsford after a nine-year-old girl was struck and killed last week. Parents say there hasn't been a guard at the busy intersection for weeks and they're calling for changes before more lives are lost. Grace Key reports. Crossing guards are back at an Abbotsford intersection after a young girl was killed while crossing the street on the way to school. Unfortunately, it took, you know, a little girl getting hit by a car for... You know, have guards here. I absolutely feel safer with them here, yes. Friday morning, a bus struck nine-year-old Hala Albarholm as she was crossing South Fraser Way in Hilltelt on her way to Tinbrook Elementary. Parents say there had been no crossing guard here for the last three weeks. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. One mother even voiced her concerns with the agency in charge on Thursday, the day before the tragic accident she asked about the crossing guard. Um, well, he's been sick for three weeks, and there's just there was no one there for him to cover. I just told them that you know, not, so, someone's got to be there, or someone's going to get hurt or killed. The Abbotsford School District contracts Crossing Guard Services to Abbotsford Community Services. It's a non-profit social service agency. Crossing Guards are paid positions. The district is reviewing the incident with the agency. A petition is also circulating, calling for changes. We need, you know, it needs to be full-time Monday to Friday morning and after school. 
um, if you call in sick, there needs to be a replacement. You can't, we can't just not have a crossing guard there. As police continue their investigation into the deadly accident, Hella was laid to rest on Saturday. Her parents and two siblings came to Canada a year ago as Syrian refugees hoping for a better life. Oh, she was just so beautiful, small, sweet, huge smile, big brown eyes, curly hair. Grace Key, Global News. Well, the province today promising 3,800 new licensed daycare spots. The Minister for Children and Family Development says the spaces will be spread around 32 communities at a cost of $33 million. The focus will be on infant and toddler spaces on school ground, spaces on school grounds or in community hubs, indigenous childcare and employer-based spaces. Our Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more on this. And Keith, we think back to the uh, campaign the NDP promised mm-hmm. at that time to bring in $10 a day daycare. It still seems like we're a long way from that, though. Oh, we're a long way. I think the NDP is discovering how complicated an issue this is. Not only do you have to find uh, dedicated spaces, you may actually have to build new daycare centers, and you have to have staff trained, properly trained, to look after kids. Katrina Chan, the Minister of State for Child Care, made that point today to reporters, noting even with this program, it's going to be rolled out over a number of years. We will invest where they need to earn it. Like we'll start with the salaration of childcare spaces, and we also need quality workers to work in those spaces. And at the same time, we need to create a system that really works, and making sure that there are going to be more licensed quality childcare. So it is a work that every pieces have to connect together. So the three-year implementation plan will address affordability, quality, and accessibility. So, Katrina Chan mentioning three years for this particular announcement, but uh, Carol James last week told me, the finance minister told me that this uh, commitment now can be stretched over 10 years. So, the NDP now uh, be, uh, promising to implement that $10 a daycare over the course of two election cycles. Probably not what a lot of people thought was going to happen when they heard the promise in the spring, but that's the reality of becoming government. It's a complicated issue, and it's going to take a long time to solve. Just like so many other issues. All right, thanks, Keith. Rescuers are ending their search for a small plane missing with two people on board. 28-year-old Dominic Naran and Ashley Borgo, a mother of three, have been missing for seven days. The single-engine aircraft vanished after taking off from Penticton Airport on its way to Edmonton. Despite an extensive search, no sign of the aircraft has been found, and the Joint Rescue Coordination Center confirms they have suspended the search. Family members of the missing pair say they hope to continue the search by recruiting volunteers. A major scam is coming to light involving a Richmond law firm. The firm claims two former employees stole nearly $8 million of trust money and laundered it through a local casino. Romina Day explains why the firm's owner says she had to take it upon herself to bring the pair to justice. Almost $8 million from a trust account, gone. A Richmond real estate lawyer claims a local casino was used to launder her client's cash. $800,000, $700,000, cash, cash, cash. So the casino doesn't doesn't think there's something wrong? Hong Go claims two former employees stripped the trust account using forged checks, then laundered the cash in the casino here before it ended up in China. Go says she called the RCMP in April of last year. They did not pass any information to me. They did not help me at all. 
So Go launched her own investigation. She claims both of her former employees were arrested near Hong Kong in August and are now in jail awaiting trial near Macau, which has been dubbed the Las Vegas of China. Despite Go's allegations, police did nothing. Richmond RCMP confirmed there is an ongoing investigation. And as a result, they are not answering any questions in connection to this case. They won't say if they're working with Chinese authorities or whether charges could be laid here. Go's clients still dumbfounded as to how millions allegedly disappeared. We don't know how come such a big amount of money could, by different magic ways to be taken out. Go told reporters she's been cleared of any wrongdoing by the Law Society, but the Society says its investigation of Hongo is ongoing. The BC Lottery Corporation not commenting because it says the allegations are unproven and still before the courts. Romina Dea, Global News. Right now, though, a controversial new anti-drug ad is pitting the province's coroner against a funeral home. As Robin Gill reports, the coroner says the new campaign might have good intentions, but could end up doing more harm than good. A BC-based funeral company came up with this ad, showing people gathered around a casket. The message? Will this be your next family get-together? It's aimed at drawing attention to the fentanyl crisis in BC. We need more attention on this crisis, but um, we just believe that this is the wrong way to do it. Helen Jennings lost two sons to drug overdoses, her youngest to fentanyl. She believes the ad is inappropriate. We feel that it could actually drive people in drug misuse deeper. BC's coroner, Lisa LaPointe, agrees with her. She's written an editorial in the Georgia Strait condemning the ad, saying, programs focused on scaring people from using drugs are not effective in saving lives. They tend to increase the stigma and discourage people from seeking help. B.C. is at the center of the crisis, with more than 1,100 opioid-related deaths this year alone. In February, Abbotsford police launched this campaign. The chief is realistic about the force's strategy. Over a period of time, uh, well-thought-out ad campaigns can make a difference, but, but I'm very aware that just putting the odd ad out there is not going to change what's going on. Ontario police forces created an ad showing real people who have become victims of this crisis. People understand that this is actually real. It's not made up Hollywood. It's not government spin. There are people actually who are dying from this. The funeral company didn't want to talk about the ad, but says despite the coroner's comments, it will go ahead with the campaign. But Helen Jennings isn't buying it. The reality of, of the world is people are using drugs and the drugs are getting becoming lethal. Um, and that's driven by the black market. And she had to learn the hard way by losing her children. Robin Gill, Global News. Bitcoin is the buzzword right now. The digital currency has skyrocketed in value, reaching historic highs. Yeah, still many people don't fully understand this form of digital money, let alone cryptocurrency in general. So we like to talk to the experts when we don't know <laughs> what we're doing. That's why we're bringing in Andrew right now for well, a little 101. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I know that it's confusing. It's hard to get your head around this. So I'll try and do my best. Excellent. Thanks, you too. Cryptocurrency or digital currency is decentralized, meaning it's not controlled by any government or bank. There are hundreds of cryptocurrencies out there. The most popular is Bitcoin. Tonight, one Bitcoin is worth more than $14,500 Canadian. That has many asking themselves, should they be investing in it? 
Well, the answer isn't a simple one. I like to compare Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to, to the early days of the Internet. I think we're kind of in 1994 right now. Michael Vogel is a strong believer in Bitcoin. He's a co-founder of NetCoins, coming up with the software that provides virtual Bitcoin ATMs like this one for retailers. The pro of Bitcoin is, especially online, is when you're sending money to someone, from the retailer's perspective, they can't get burned by a consumer that tries to reverse the transaction. Still, not everyone is sold, partly because it's hard for consumers to understand cryptocurrency, let alone trust it. Bitcoin is digital and it's easy to, to send and spend once you have it, but that actual on-ramp of how do I get Bitcoin is the challenge. Virtual currency like Bitcoin can be bought with traditional money. Users remain relatively anonymous. A consumer can go into a store like this one that sells Bitcoins and purchase them. Once you have Bitcoin, let's say you wanted to buy a game on the Xbox store, because Microsoft takes Bitcoin. Uh, so they'll have a real-time quote saying, yes, send these many Bitcoins for your video game. You open up what's called a Bitcoin wallet, which is essentially an app on your phone, and you, you scan the code that Microsoft gives you, and you can now send your Bitcoins over to Microsoft. Sounds easy enough, but critics argue Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, while generally secure, are risky, largely in part because there's no central authority reporting suspicious activity, which they say makes Bitcoin vulnerable to hackers and other criminal activity like money laundering. Financial experts caution consumers to only invest in cryptocurrency if they have an appetite for risk. There's not really much risk associated with sitting in your own currency, but in a cryptocurrency, I mean, it's almost the opposite. I mean, you are buying into the idea that one day this is going to be an alternate uh, medium or a go-to medium of exchange. And people are buying it and trading it based on the fact that there's going to be more unprecedented, unbelievable demand for it. And that's why we're seeing these huge price swings. For Michael Vogel, he sees only opportunity and believes it's just a matter of time when more of us will jump on board. But only time will tell. Now, given the fact that cryptocurrency craze with Bitcoin, there are several scams out there. Beware of Bitcoin impersonators who are using the Bitcoin brand to lure in trusting victims. Before you hand over your money, make sure you know the seller's reputation and that they are legitimate Bitcoin brokers. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thanks very much. Growing calls tonight for the new NDP government to back up its words with action and crack down on technology that many believe rips true fans off that are trying to buy concert tickets. As Ted Chernecki reports, a recent big ticket, con big ticket concert that sold out in seconds has rock fans crying foul. I tried to get Eagles tickets and uh, no luck. When the Solicitor General can't get a ticket at face value, you know there's something wrong. Welcome to the hotel frustration as Eagles tickets sell out within seconds this past weekend. I was poised and within 30 seconds, the tickets were gone. And once again, the prime suspect are those computer program robots called bots, run by ticket resellers who snap up everything they can within seconds and then just as quickly flip the tickets onto secondary sites at dramatically increased prices. I think the NDP needs to step up and put their money where their mouth is and do the right thing. Last week, concert goers in Alberta welcomed new consumer protection legislation making bots illegal, among other things. It's a move supported by many artists. Just don't like it. I don't like people getting in between 
the artists and the people that allow them to be an artist. In October, Ontario introduced similar legislation, but B.C. is still pondering. I think a realistic uh, time frame is probably the fall of 2018 uh, because we want to make sure that, that what we do actually works. It's not something cosmetic. In a statement, Ticketmaster responded saying it's an arms race. In 2015, it had blocked more than 5 billion bots. Yet in 2016, bot activity increased 10%. It claims to have invested millions and has a zero tolerance for bots, but also admits technology alone cannot stop them. I think BC is the only one that doesn't even have anything in place right now for, for the, the people of BC to be able to see their own, you know, go to their own uh, venues to see events. Look what happened in May this year at the U2 concert at BC Place Stadium when organizers demanded credit card verification. Getting around the resellers and their bots is no easy task, and fans in BC say they need some help here. Ted Chernecki, Global News. What appears to be a case of road rage could land a postie in some serious trouble. Look at that. Postal worker. You're not going to have a job for long. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're nuts. It happened this afternoon in Surrey on 108. The passenger in the vehicle filming this says the postie was driving erratically, weaving in and out of traffic and yelling at other drivers. They reported the driver to Canada Post but were referred to head office in Montreal. She cut off a few more vehicles and uh, came up beside us and pretty much the whole time she had been jumping out of her vehicle too like we were doing 60 kilometers like and she was swinging her door right open hanging out of her uh, out of her vehicle yelling at everyone we just heard back from canada post after making a couple of phone calls of inquiry they say they are investigating this incident Second time's the charm in Pontiac, Michigan, where part of the legendary Silver Dome was finally brought down after yesterday's failed attempt. The upper ring of the old home of the Detroit Lions collapsing into rubble. In case you didn't see it, this is what happened yesterday when they first tried to bring it down. The company says eight of the explosive charges weren't connected. Today's implosion went much better. The full demolition is going to take about a year. Well, it's the news that's had Washington, D.C. buzzing all weekend. Did one of Donald Trump's tweets leave him open to charges of obstruction of justice? Adding to the political turmoil, another controversial statement today by Trump's own lawyer. The president today, 2,000 miles from Washington, but unable to escape serious questions about what he knew and when about his former national security advisors lies to the FBI. The president simply saying he feels badly for Michael Flynn. Hillary Clinton lied many times to the FBI. Nothing happened to her. Flynn lied and they destroyed his life. I think it's a shame. Setting aside that James Comey testified Hillary Clinton didn't lie to the FBI, the focus now, did President Trump obstruct justice and could this tweet be used against him? Quote, I had to fire General Flynn because he lied to the vice president and the FBI. The problem? If the president knew Flynn lied to the FBI, and if he did later ask Comey to lay off Flynn, like Comey says, but which the president denies, he could open himself up to accusations of obstruction of justice, charges some Democrats are already raising. There is a credible case of obstruction of justice against Donald Trump. Now, a new and controversial defense from the president's personal lawyer. John Dowd tells NBC News he's the one behind the president's tweet. 
that it's ignorant to say the tweet admitted obstruction. And going even further, he says a president cannot obstruct justice at all because he has every right to express his view of any case. Experts say Dowd may have a legal argument, but politically, a president could still be in trouble. Just ask Richard Nixon or Bill Clinton, who faced impeachment by Congress for obstruction. The president may not be able to be prosecuted while in office, but... It's absolutely relevant whether or not he committed obstruction of justice. So where does all this go next? That depends on what Mike Flynn is sharing. Convicted, but cooperating. Also today, Donald Trump officially endorsed Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore, despite allegations that Moore sexually pursued teenage girls decades ago while he was in his 30s. The White House releasing a statement saying the president phoned Moore and offered his support. Moore has steadfastly denied the accusations. The story of a racist tirade caught on video in Calgary has taken an even uglier turn. Don't touch me! The video captures an outburst by a man who'd become upset with a cashier and his violent and racist reaction when others tried to calm him down. Police would like to talk to the man, and they are investigating this as a possible hate crime. But now the man who posted the video and the community activist who talked about it say they are being threatened. I've had people go as far to say it would be in my best interest not to talk to any more news people and to delete the video and go forth with my business. Had some threats of physical violence. A community activist who spoke out against the man says she's also receiving texts that are hateful towards her and refugees. Well, many people across B.C. saw last night's supermoon, but other parts of the world got an even better show. Cameras capturing the spectacular sight in Myanmar, Israel, England and Spain. Supermoons happen when the moon is in its closest orbit to Earth, appearing 30 percent brighter than normal. If you missed this one, NASA says there will be two more next month on the first and last day of January. But this one might be the best we've seen. The chopper for CBS 5 in Phoenix, Arizona, getting this shot with Camelback Mountain in the foreground when this happens. Definitely worth a second look as a passenger jet coming in for a landing slices right across the giant moon. Timing is everything, isn't it? In Health Matters tonight, a baby born in Dallas has made medical history. The baby boy delivered via C-section last month is the first in the U.S. born to a woman with a transplanted uterus. The baby's mother, who is not being identified, was born without a uterus. The donor is a Texas mother who volunteered to give up her own uterus so another woman could experience pregnancy. This is only the ninth baby in the world to be born after a uterine transplant. It's not funny. Wouldn't have been funny for the kids. Scary. Yeah, scary. Uh, Man, was it ever nice to see some of that sunshine today. And it came Mm -hmm. just as advertised. Thanks for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. You know what? I'll take the thanks. It's been a tough month. So finally, that upper level ridge that we've been talking about is starting to take hold now. Um, Today, we saw a fair amount of clouds. So we still have to get rid of that cloud. And that will happen by tomorrow. Expect complete sunshine as this upper level bridge builds. Um, Super moon, it's weakening, certainly. But uh, we have a fair amount of cloud cover across our region. So you won't be able to get a glimpse of it. But I know that the moon still is quite large and bright. So if you can try and get out there... 
uh, do so maybe in some of these uh, central interior regions. Uh, the king tide associated with that, it looks like, so te- we typically get about a meter higher than normal high tides when you have a king tide. And that's a significant uh, growth in those, um, in those tides. But thankfully, we don't have any strong winds to um, sort of uh, exasperate that situation, and it should just be that. Uh, so we'll be tracking that starting tomorrow right through until Saturday. When we look at the conditions across the region, we've got a weak front. That's bringing the cloud cover right now. That's going to weaken and shift out. This ridge of high pressure and upper-level ridge will build and strengthen over the next couple of days and start to drive all these systems well north of us, keeping us clear. However, when we have clear skies, we tend to get cold at night. So here's an example of the feels like across our region overnight tonight. Out in the Fraser Valley towards Hope could feel like about minus 5. Fraser Valley proper, Chilliwack, for example, minus 2. Closer to the water, a range. Downtown, about 2 degrees, but then areas like Surrey, about 0. So watch for icy conditions tomorrow morning. Uh, could be a little slippery on the roads, on the sidewalks as well. And then it will be once the sun warms up, warms things up, that it will be beautiful. And we'll be seeing a near average temperatures tomorrow, but then Wednesday and Thursday, it will really start to warm up. So spectacular conditions. In the meantime, those of you across the north, just the remnants of that cold front. So a few showers, a few flurries in through the interior, but drier and sunnier by the afternoon. And that's the case across here. Now, the inversion is going to develop. So some areas like Kelowna may continue with that low level valley cloud, and that's where it will stay colder. Warmer temperatures will be higher up. So hit the slopes, great conditions in the slopes. And when we look at the south coast region, so near average conditions tomorrow in terms of temperature, five, six degrees, but really warming up nicely Wednesday and Thursday. So frosty mornings, afternoon sunshine and warmth. And here's a look at our weather window from tonight. Robin Dorchester sent us this as she was flying into Vancouver yesterday. Beautiful shot. Thanks, Robin. Sure is. That is lovely. Thanks, Christy. A dangerous pair of intruders stormed a Japanese high school, wreaking havoc and disrupting classes. A student captured one of the wild boars as it tried to crash through a glass door. Once inside, the animals nosed through the trash and the recycling, and at one point even charged a group of curious students, sending them scrambling in panic. The building was evacuated and the boars were eventually tranquilized, but that wasn't the end of it. Two more animals were spotted in a pool not far from the school. Oh my. Thankfully, they got out of there. Okay, prepare for hype drive. Not hyperdrive, hype drive, as we get closer to the release of the new Star Wars movie. To mark this year's 40th anniversary of the science fiction juggernaut, Disney has teamed up with a manufacturer to produce a commemorative Star Wars banknote. Appropriately, there's a light side and a dark side. (laughs) Now, it isn't actually legal tender, not that any real Star Wars fan would spend it. It goes on sale Thursday only on eBay UK. All proceeds go to a children's charity. You think Bitcoin's on a meteoric rise. Waiting to see (laughs) how quickly that stuff flies off the shelves. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Pretty cool. May the cash be with you. (laughs) Very well done. (laughs) That was good. Soon there'll be a lineup of people dressed as their favorite Star Wars Mm -hmm. characters to see the first showing. That's true. Mm -hmm. I never quite figured out why people have to line up to see the first showing. Because the movie's not going to change. They line up and they dress up. I know. I know. Well, you think about it. At hockey games the other night, Canucks fans, Leafs fans, all wearing the uniforms. Well, what do they say? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. 
Yes. That makes all the difference in the NHL sometimes, too, yes, doesn't it? that is true. That's a good thing. Well, the thing is, I mean, at one time, what was the old saying? A big man has to prove he can't play, and a small man has to prove he can. Mm-hmm. And this is the era where smaller men are getting a chance to play defense in the NHL. There was a time anyone under six feet need not apply, but thankfully that is no longer the case. And that allowed Troy Stetcher a chance to show the Canucks what he could do. And not only does he have big league puck handling skills and smarts, he also has NHL toughness. We saw a rather graphic display of that Saturday in the 2-1 win over Toronto. Zaitsev with a hard shot to hit Troy Stetcher. Mitch Marner out of the corner, backhand shot that hits Stetcher in the face. He's down and hurt. What was the uh, total damage to the foot as well as the face? Uh, I don't know, just a stinger and I think it's four stitches or something, so uh, I'm fine. Uh, can skate, can play. Blocked a shot earlier on a leg, and this one went right up and hit him in the face. And Next time you're having a bad work day, flashback to what Troy Stetcher endured against the Leafs. Battered, bruised, bloodied, it all fit the bill. But as we're learning about Stetcher, down doesn't always mean out. Have you had a game where you've been as bruised and battered as the one that you occurred on, on Saturday? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> No, in college you wore cages, so your face is always protected. You could probably act a little tougher than you were and get away with it. But here it's a price you got to play uh, to win, and uh, sometimes it's tough. You know, he's he's one of the smaller guys on the team, but he plays like he's you know six two, six three. He's got a part of a where He goes out there every night, and you know, like like he showed last game, you know, he gets hit in the face and comes back, and uh, you like to see that from your teammates. What's also off the charts is his compete level, a stat that doesn't exist, but one coaches look for, and Stetcher oozes it. Just watch him in his own end when it comes to puck battles. It's why he's averaging just under 16 minutes of ice time a game. This is from a guy who suffered a serious knee injury in the opening month of the season, was expected to miss six weeks, but returned earlier than expected. You want players that will go through a wall and pay a price to win. At the end of the day, to really ultimately win championships, you need your team to be willing to go go through hard areas of the rink and take, take a pounding and come out on top and be able to come back and play well. And He's a good example of that. A couple of times tonight... Okay, instead of building a new arena, Seattle City Council has voted in favor to allow a group to modernize Key Arena where the Supersonics used to play. That renovation is supposed to be done by 2020, and between now and then, it could be sooner than 2020, the NHL is going to take a very close look at Seattle given there are an odd number of teams right now in the NHL, and there will be stories between now and then of NBA teams being courted to come back to Seattle. Of course, he lost the Sonics to Oklahoma City. A new arena does not mean an automatic team, but a new arena would put Seattle on the short list for both the NHL and the NBA. Now, last night at Century Link Field in Seattle, the Seahawks stopped the Eagles from living life in the fast lane. Nice. Handing Philadelphia just its second loss this season and putting the uh, Seahawks... Did I say Seattle? handing Philadelphia its second loss of the season and putting the Seahawks in a better position to make the playoffs. The reasons Seattle won were many, but the main reason was Russell Wilson, who has to be one of the early favorites for the NFL's MVP award. I thought Russell was spectacular tonight. I just thought that the, the stuff that he was able to create. Four-man rush. Wilson stepping up. He's going to run for it. He's going to flip the ball off to Mike Davis. <laughs> 
Wilson again, running for his life. Goes on the run, wide open, making the catch inside the 20-yard line. Amazing night of football, and uh, that was fun to watch, and I loved it, and <laughs> I hope you guys did too. Actually, it's been a bunch of amazing nights and afternoons of football from Russell Wilson. Where would the Seahawks be if they didn't have number three? Of the 30 offensive touchdowns the Seahawks have scored this year, Wilson has thrown or ran them in himself 29 of the 30. In other words, 97% of the Seahawks' touchdowns on offense are because of Wilson's arm, his feet, and most importantly, his brain. He's like a great chess player. He's always one or two steps ahead of the opposition. And with Wilson on top of his game and a defense showing it still has some boom left in the Legion, the Seahawks are becoming contenders again. Wilson's going to throw wide open. McKissick for the score. You know, we, uh, you know, we've always been you know, right there, and we just want to keep, you know, uh, keep doing our job. It's, it's December. You know, it's time to play. You know, it's time to be great. And uh, that's what we need to do, and that's what we need to continue to focus on. <laughs> All right, tonight, Steelers-Bengals, this is scary. Watch number 50, Ryan Shazier. He makes a tackle here, leading with his head. Now, you see a problem with his back. The one thing you'll notice, he does not move his legs at all when he is down. Now, that doesn't mean he has no feeling in them. He just didn't move his legs. They took him to the hospital immediately. There is no update on his condition at the moment. Cincinnati leads in the second quarter, 10-0. Rob Bronkowski. Gronk has been suspended one game for his much later than late hit on Tredavious White yesterday. Gronk apologized for the hit, which included a forearm shiver to the back of the head. He said he did it because he was frustrated refs weren't calling any penalties on players interfering with him. He'll miss the uh, Patriots next outing. And if you start 2-10 and, and you bench a Hall of Fame quarterback, don't be surprised Denver. if you get fired. Today, the Giants got rid of head coach Ben McAdoo and GM Jerry Reese. The benching of Eli Manning caused controversy in New York. It broke a 210-game starting streak for Manning. And we have been told that after this coaching change, Manning will start the Giants next game. Here is a look at the conditions on the mountains and a dry weather pattern for many days ahead, but good bases uh, everywhere, really. Whistler Blackcomb, 154 centimeters on the ground. Grouse Mountain, 186. Cypress, 200. Sasquatch opens December 15th. Revelstoke, a base of 131 centimeters. Manning Park, 75. And Powder King, 171. Big White, a base of 117. Silver Star close to that at 107. Sun Peaks at 87. And Apex will open December 9th. Coming up on ET Canada, Billy Bush breaks his silence on his Access Hollywood scandal with Donald Trump. Plus the day Daisy Ridley met Prince William and Harry on set of Star Wars. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks, Sangeeta. UBC students are celebrating something of a Christmas miracle tonight. Their high-tech invention has been found after being lost at sea for a year and a half. Linda Ellsworth has the story of a remarkable voyage. I'm going to push. It's easier for me to push than pull. We first met Vivian Chung last year on the Vancouver waterfront, putting the final touches on an autonomous boat named Ada. I heard that a couple people on campus were b trying to break a world record, and I was like, oh, I really want to be a part of that. The record, to successfully sail an unmanned boat across the Atlantic Ocean, a sailbot. It took dozens of UBC engineering students four years to create a vessel up to the task. But by the summer of 2016, Ada was on her way. 
10 of us loaded in two vehicles and towed Ada across the country and camped across Canada um, to get her to Newfoundland to our launch location. Their plan, to launch Ada off the coast of St. John's with her GPS set for Ireland. After towing her from shore, she was set free. Once we launched her, she was doing amazing. Like She had already completed a third of the journey. That's when things went sideways. They lost contact with Ada, but they knew one thing. She wasn't heading towards Ireland anymore. At that point, it was really devastating, and we thought that we had lost her. But then um, in September, she actually revived. Long enough to determine that Ada was off the coast of Portugal. Then she went silent again. For almost an entire year, she bobbed around the Atlantic, lost until Friday. Hi there, a U.S. research vessel has found Ada and is offering to pick her up. Let me know how you would like to proceed.